A creature with grey skin and humanoid body haunts a house. And first it makes you uneasy, but then its presence slips your mind. Its sheer inactivity, absence of action, reduction of self makes you forget it's actually there. But soon, the grey will show its true colours. A cemetery holds a dark secret. Hauntings from a past left untold, and plays mind games with those that it captures in its dark web, withholding a history that will never be told. And a friend mourns another, his best friend, and his descent into obsession in what we can only assume takes place after he receives the grotesque. Listeners, before I start this episode, I have fantastic news, a brand new Patreon supporter, divided by zero. Now, I know this listener from way, way back. They've listened to this podcast for a very long time. So for you, mate, to donate at a White Tea Warlord level, with the likes of Matthew J. Bauer and Maya, just blows me away. I just made a cup of tea in your honor, and may thousands upon thousands hear my thanks to you. So thank you. From the bottom of my heart, you brilliant supporter. And expect an email from me tomorrow going over what I can do to make your episodes extra special. Also, one more thing. I've been ill since Wednesday night. Apologies for any late email responses. I'm going to get onto them tomorrow. Rest assured. Now listeners, turn off the lights. Turn up the sound. And get ready for something different. Grey, I've tried everything I can think of. Enough is enough. I first noticed a thing when I looked up at my window, after taking a short nighttime walk. At first, I reasoned that it was just my mum, putting something in my room. But as I came closer and looked harder, I saw its shape was hardly feminine, hardly even human. What stood in my window was a tall, skinny figure, completely nude and lanky, like a teenager. Its skin, the color gray. It stood taller than I did, and it looked down from my window at me whenever I was outside of my house. Its face was more humanoid than the rest of it, as it had a mouth, a nose, and two eyes, the whites of which shone like dim car headlights. It had an expression that was hard to read. Fear, mixed with exuberation, and entirely psychotic. The first night I saw it, it just stared down at me. It didn't move at all. I didn't move at all. I couldn't. I was dumbfounded by its presence. I felt a sneaking dread climb up my spine, and it settled on my neck. My mother and sister were in the house with that monster. I ran for the door. When I burst through, nothing was amiss. My family members sat downstairs, watching television as they always did. Panting, I stood there before the screen and looked at them, wondering how they couldn't have noticed someone breaking into our home. Looks of concern showed on both their faces. What's the matter? My mum asked, frowning. 
there's someone upstairs! I exclaimed. What? She cried, her voice raised. How can that be? I saw him in my window! Without waiting for them to follow, I stormed up the stairs, determined to catch the criminal. I took a baseball bat from the closet on the way and, with a moment's hesitation, I exploded into my bedroom. The grey being had inexplicably vanished, gone without any trace. I checked my sister's room, my mother's room, every bathroom and closet and pantry I could. The thing had disappeared. Somehow, its vanishing disturbed me more than it being here. That night I barely slept, waiting for it to emerge from some excellent hiding spot. It never did. After then, I have looked up to my window when I was outside. And every time I saw the thing glaring down at me like I was the freak. Sometimes, I locked eyes with it, making threatening gestures to try to stare it down and scare it off. But it never affected it. It just stood there, watching, waiting. After a week of seeing it whenever I walked my dog late at night, and even during the day when I looked up from the car as I parked it in the driveway, I resolved to do something. What a mistake. First, I tried shutting the blinds and turning off the light before I went out with my dog. Sure enough, when I glanced up at my window, the thing stood as it had before, with the blinds completely up and the light juxtaposing its grey mass against the yellow-coloured room. When I climbed back to my bedroom, the shades were as I'd put them. I started to feel crazy and unsafe. I started sleeping downstairs. The second thing I tried worked as well as the first. I stacked chairs and heavy boxes full of reams of paper before the window to see how determined this spirit was. As I should have guessed, all of the things had been removed from sight when I peered up to the gleaming portal. It just stood alone, its expression constant, its body not feeling my desperate eyes upon the grey of its form. As a final attempt, before resulting to setting actual traps to catch the beast, I told my sisters to check my room after I'd gone. She was still sitting on the couch when I walked through the front door, loath to postpone her sedentary life for even a few minutes. Before I returned, she reported that my room was empty and asked if I felt okay. Feeling the concerned and fearful eyes of my family members made me fearful for myself. For some weeks, I managed to come to terms with the grey being's existence. I looked at it less and less, found its presence to be of decreasing importance to me. It seemed as if we could occupy the same space in comfort, staying out of each other's way. I had almost completely forgotten about it when the tragedy came. It was a Saturday, a day I typically spent out with friends. The evening was a time of stress relief in the form of driving around the suburbs I live in and causing a ruckus in a variety of ways. I left around 4 in the afternoon, and it was only 4.26 when I received a frantic text from my mum urging me to come home. When I got back, I looked up to my window, remembering the being that had become nearly invisible by its consistency. I froze, 
when I saw that its grey, strange mouth was twisted upwards in a horrid smile. I burst through the front door. My mum was collapsed on the front room carpet, telephone held limply in hand, having just called the police. I knelt by her a few moments, comforting her in her distress, wondering where my sister was. Sentence after incoherent sentence streamed out of her mouth like dribble. So I left her there, to check if the house had any clues to her distress. My natural response upon entering my house is to get upstairs to my room as soon as sociably acceptable. Logically, I could check there first. Each day I awake, I wish I hadn't looked at all. Blood coated nearly every surface, as if some explosion of red paint had sent it splattering onto the walls and ceiling. Parts of my sister were strewn on my bed, some of her organs lying on my desk, a good deal of her torso still, and motionless in the center of my carpet. Her face had been torn off and nailed to the wall with a pencil, the eyes missing and nowhere to be found. The eye holes were ghastly, elongated things made to look like demons' eyes, but the bloodied wall that was visible through them. I retched onto the crimson floor, making the stench in the room even more sickening than the hemoglobin iron smell that fucked my nostrils mercilessly. I stumbled downstairs back to my weeping mother and collapsed as she had. I did not cry, however, I only thought, and it became clear to me then, the being is too dangerous to let live. From then on, after police had come to retrieve the body and found no viable perpetrator of the crime, I spent most of my time at every public library in the county, or on so-called witch websites I knew to be hoaxes, trying to find a method of purging the spirit from my home. I ordered holy water purported to be bottled at the Jordan River, spread it in the still red room only to see that same grey beast looking down upon me within. No amount of charms or amulets or enchantments could repel the grey being. I cast protection spells, spirit wards, positive repels, waving my hands and chanting like a maniac cultist. In a stupor of frustration, I tried pleading with the spirit, making a pact with it left it offerings like it was some god to revere. Nothing could remove it from the window. And that brings me to my current state of mind. I have exhausted all possible means, save summoning a demon of my own, or burning down my house. I would do the latter if I could convince my mother of the Grey's being's existence. But she always claims she can't see it when I show her its creeping vigilance. For some reason, I know nothing can rid me of this malevolence. That's why I've written this tale. This explanation of my next action. I'm going to climb onto my roof and go in through that window. I want everyone to understand why I've done this and to make sure that this does not happen again. Believe someone if they tell you that they're afraid and believe in what causes their fear, no matter how preposterous, no matter how great. I've tried everything I can think of. Enough is enough. This journal was found on Derek E. Weinman's person on February the 17th. Among other personal effects, including a watch battery, a wallet containing identification, and several bills. And a packet of Big League Chew. Derek's time of death was 8.34pm on February the 17th. Cause of death? Still unknown.
though the official statement has been announced as suicide. No sign of a struggle or harmful chemicals found. Derek was lying face down on the floor of his room where his sister's body had been found. COFCL report, case 9A12, Vanessa D. Weinman. Please note, the last page of Quoted Journal had difficult to read messages. Eventually, the words were determined as, Why am I so grey? Credit of this story goes to Crosby Allison. And what a wonderful story. Our next story is called The Grey. This is a real story. Number one. Hello, my name is Trent Wade. I'm 18 and I believe in the paranormal. I hope that after reading this, you will too. The paranormal is not what people imagine it to be. Sure, there are some evil spirits, but most spirits are just there. Because they have to fix something they did in their life. But that's another subject. Let me get into my story. It was a year ago, October 2012. I don't remember that day. My best friend and I had just gotten out of school, as currently I am graduated. My best friend, Rob, is the typical younger brother kind of best friend. We're really close, so we got out of school. Usually we'd hang out around my house, which is a 30-minute walk from school. That is, when we take the long way. We also took another way in which we had to cut through a little forest and a cemetery. We had taken the path a couple of times, but this time, it was different. The day was a normal fall day, cloudy skies, cold ambient. We get to the cemetery and everything was normal. We headed towards the cemetery gate. All of a sudden, Rob sprinted away. I didn't know why he did, until I caught up to him. On top of a toppled over grave, a few feet in front of the cemetery, lay a mask. The mask was shaped in the form of a human skull, but it was plated with a dull metal-looking material. Three feathers hung from the skull's left temple, and its teeth were black. Not painted black, though. They looked like the rotten teeth you see in the photos dentists show you when you were a kid. Rob and I stared for a good couple of minutes, until I instinctively reached out to touch it. As soon as I touched the mask, I heard a low growl to my left. Rob gasped, and I turned around. On top of another toppled grave, a dog stood. The dog was black, the same color of his eyes. It was of slender frame, but his teeth looked vicious enough to rip off a finger or two if needed. I'm not afraid of dogs, so I steadily held my hand out for him to sniff. The dog then snapped at my hand, missing it by a little. Rob ran, then I ran. Now, the cemetery is on a hill, and the dog was too fast for us to open the gate on time. Rob and I then had to jump from the ledge of the cemetery into the sidewalk below. When we turned around, the dog was gone. Literally gone. The dog wasn't fast enough to get out of sight so quickly. I then realized... I had the mask in my hands the whole time. Rob and I were shit scared. We walked to my house as fast as we could. As soon as we got there, we smashed the mask with my titanium baseball bat and threw the pieces away. Journal 2 We soon came back to the cemetery to investigate. 
This time my friend Carlos came. We split up. Rob and I soon bumped into each other. We thought it was hopeless until we heard Carlos call us. We ran up to where he was and were speechless. Some graves in the cemetery were elevated. Someone had opened a side of one, took the coffin out, and made a sort of one-man house. On top, the person had also written, Andre has a new home. Carlos also noted that he looked through most graves, and that there wasn't any grave older than 1912. Why was that? There were so much questions to be answered. I then looked through the staff. I found medical supplies, documents, clothing, sandbags, etc. I then dismissed the place as a hobo shelter, and we walked away. Journal Chapter 3 A week later, we came back to check the cemetery out. This time, we felt lucky. The day was grey and wet, as it had just finished raining. I had yet another friend with me this time, and his name was Ernie. He's the typical paranormal self-proclaimed expert, so he happily accepted coming with us. I split up with Ernie, and we went to the cremation house. We checked our surroundings, and I immediately found something. It was a sort of machine part. I then put it in my pocket. My friends also found it multiple parts, and the thing is, they all fit together. We also found a note. In the front, someone had written, Leave, and the back showed that it was a car wash ticket. I was bothered by all these odd artifacts, but felt satisfied anyways, as I had found evidence. We walked from the cemetery. Before losing sight of it, I turned around to give it one more look. On top of the grave, where the skull mask once was, stood a tall, elderly man. He had the same dog that attacked us next to him. He had grey hair, almost white grey eyes, and a black leather trench coat with leather boots and grey pants. His grey eyes stared directly at me. I then shut my eyes and opened them to see the man and the dog to have disappeared. Journal Chapter 4 My friends and I soon put the machine together. It wasn't much. It was a bunch of metals and wires connected to a small screen on top that had numbers. Depending on which direction we moved, it would go up or down. After a few days later, I yet again went to the cemetery. I noticed that as I got closer, the numbers went up fast. The machine then led me straight to the mask grave. As soon as I laid my foot on it, the numbers shut off to zero. Then, the same man appeared right in front of my eyes. This time, his face was twisted beyond human shape. So much so that you could barely even call it human. Darkness was where his eyes should be. His jaw was twisted so much, it would stick out of his face. His hands were pretty much bones, with bits of skin hanging. I tried to scream, but my body was unable to move at all. Silent. Those fucking grey eyes kept on staring at me. Silent. The man moved closer. The eyes. Don't make a sound. I blacked out. Journal, Chapter 5. I woke up. I looked at my watch. It had been around four hours since I blacked out. 
Everything was still blurry, and my ears were ringing. Finally, my vision cleared to show that I wasn't in the cemetery. Well, not the normal cemetery. My watch said it was 4.44 in the afternoon, but it was pitch black. No lights from the nearby street or anything. Scared, I curled up in a ball. What the hell was happening? I tried to find out where the gate was and walked in that direction, but after walking for 10 minutes straight, I ended up nowhere. I just walked straight. Then I found notes. They all had written one letter each. S-I-L-E-N-T Once I got to T, I got to a fence. The fence had a hole in it. I crawled through and found myself in the forest. I then heard a sound of leaves rustling. I didn't care anymore. I sprinted towards it. I then found a ruined couch with symbols scrambled on it like someone had taken a big black coal and used it as a pencil with my friends laying on it, their throats cut open. I turned around. I quickly saw the same man with the grey eyes. He came at me. I tried to run, but it was hopeless. I hid behind a tree. I felt the man walk behind me. Then I tried to sneak, but then the dog appeared and bit my hand. I quickly made it stop and ran to the couch, sprinting as fast as I could, but the man caught up. I then blacked out again. When I woke up, I was in the cemetery. It was 4.45. Weeks passed. I never went back to the cemetery, until one day, I walked by it. Sitting near the gate, sat a nun. I asked her about the history of the cemetery. Young man, this cemetery has been haunted since 1912. There is a demon that lives in these graves. You best leave this place alone, or it will haunt you for the rest of your life. And that was that. I never returned. Nothing else has happened to me. Notice this story is real. Nothing is exaggerated. No, I do not do drugs. I do not drink or anything like that. It just happened. I later met up with all my friends. They're all okay. Please send feedback on my story. Sincerely, Trent. The Grotesque I got the bulk of this story from an online journal. I should clarify that it isn't mine. So there may be elements that could benefit from some sober and rational explanation. And won't always be able to offer that. <laughs> my name is Jason, but my friends call me Jace. The journal in question belonged to a friend of mine. Or rather, someone that used to be a friend of mine. It was on a public journalism website, which many of you will know of. Perhaps you're even a member yourself. I'd forgotten all about it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I'd long grown out of blogging my every thought, feeling, minor achievement, and perceived injustice in the world, with a faint hope that the throngs of the internet would find me fascinating. I'd never deleted my account, however, and with a little thought, I was able to recall my password and log in. After a quick browse through my old entries, rolling my eyes, <laughs> Chuckling and thanking Christ I wasn't that ranting teenager anymore. I decided to check on the journals of a few of my old friends. 
most were inactive accounts or had simply not been updated in years. But then, as my gaze skimmed along the list of abstract, comical, and melodramatic blogger names, my eye fixed on one which caused my blood to chill in my veins and a tumult of painful memories to flood my mind, shattering the pleasant nostalgia. Par Trickster 87 Oh God, Patrick Pat, who I'd attended college with, gone on lad's holiday with, and years before, been tight teenage friends. Pat had grown up in the same small town as me. Our parents knew each other, and we'd shared a lot together. He'd been like a brother to me, and I to him we'd have promised to always be there for each other. If saying something like that hadn't been uh, suicide for masculinity. <laughs> but I always felt it was an unspoken understanding. Thinking back to our time together at college, we worked well together. I was what you might call sensible, a little reserved, but also more level-headed than Pat. I tended to be the one with the job and a handle on our plans for the weekend. He was just all about living life, Really outgoing, but not obnoxious with it. The kind of guy always at the center of the fun, but still pretty intelligent. He'd joke that he was studying history of literature and weed. He was usually in a group of people. He was making them laugh by acting the clown. You know the kind of guy. He had a lot of friends. Guy friends and girlfriends. Oh yeah. And the girlfriends? Well... <laughs> He was in and out of relationships more times than I could remember. There was generally minimal drama, some of the relationships barely reaching a full week. <laughs> Eesh. He insisted to me that he always ended things with a genuine, let's still be friends, yeah? But the girls rarely took him up on this offer. One night, when we were just chilling in his dorm room, doing a little smoking and perhaps more than a little drinking, he confided in me his sincere desire to find the right girl, and settle down. I snorted my disbelief and said, Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Glancing over at his door, where a petite brunette in a very short denim skirt, and almost see-through t-shirt, had exited a few hours ago, when I arrived. But he sat up and continued. No, seriously, man, I know there's been a lot of girls. He grinned at this point and glanced at his phone out of the corner of his eye. Clearly expecting a text from another girl at some point that night. <laughs> but it's just because I'm a passionate person, you know? If I meet a girl I like, I want her to be my girlfriend. Right there, right now. If it doesn't work out, I'll worry about that later. Cross that bridge when we come to it, you know? He took another drink. Seriously though, if I met the right kind of girl, all bets would be off. That would be me, sorting it all out. No more messing around, no more cheating. Gotta make a real go of it, you know? Treat her like a princess, with respect. That's what love is, man. Yeah, I know. I said, considering his words. I just want to ask you one thing. Sure, shoot. When the fuck did you start reading Cosmo magazine? I grinned broadly, still slouched on his couch. I raised my arm a little too slowly to deflect the empty beer can thrown at my head. <laughs> we both laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about those days gave me a strange feeling in my chest, a sort of tight numbness, where my ribs feel constricted 
but my heart beat stronger than ever. It's bittersweet. Remember my old friend in the time before? Before everything just went crazy. Looking at his online journal, I see it set to private. Viewable only by his friends. To my knowledge, that meant me. And maybe two or three other people. I scroll through the entries until I see a significant date gap. One entry titled something about summer break dating from somewhere in the middle of high school and has a gap after it of nearly six years and is followed by an entry titled simply Day One Sunday. I have read this story that I'm about to share with you possibly a hundred times over. It doesn't get any easier. But to make the situation clearer to you, I will include my own notes between some of the entries to provide context and later on, a connection to reality. None of the entries had any comments, seemingly never being read after publishing, as if Pat was just posting his desperate story into the void. Day 1, Sunday. Dear Diary, <laughs> This feels kinda weird. I haven't been on here in so long, not since I was a teenager. Well, where to begin catching you up? I made 20-something, 150-something pound, damn good-looking college struggler. A thank you. It was recommended to me by Dr. Chen that I keep a journal and update it with how I'm feeling day to day. I guess starting on a Sunday seems a bit odd, but this might be an odd journal. <laughs> anyway, I got into some trouble recently. Apparently, I have issues with authority figures and anger management. Yeah, another way to say that is, I don't take any bullshit from anybody. I guess I can overreact sometimes, but I'm working on it though, okay? The travel Pat refers to in this entry is nearly being kicked out of college for smoking weed. We had a fairly sympathetic staff on our campus, but you still couldn't wander around blatantly smoking in broad daylight. Needless to say, there was a confrontation. Pat didn't react well and there was a rumor that things got violent. It should have resulted in immediate expulsion, removal from campus, and possible jail time. But Pat managed to sweet-talk his way out of that, explaining that he was struggling with the stress of college work and some personal problems, and instead was referred for mandatory counseling. We high-fived about it back then. <sighs> Doesn't seem right now. Day 2, Monday. Hey again, well this is day two on my path of self-discovery and whatever. I had my second session with Dr. Chen today. She's my counselor. Kind of a weird Chinese hippie chick. I think she's in her 40s? She's really small. I feel so tall when I'm in a room with her. Anyway, she's pretty nice. Encourages me to talk about my feelings. It still feels weird. I know I can be a bit impatient and sometimes I just flip out if people push me too far. But Dr. Chen doesn't seem to think that is a problem. She says I need to let the anger out. It's strange. She talks about it like it were alive. Like the anger is an animal or something. In a cage. In captivity your anger will writhe and coil. Fighting against its bonds. Forever seeking release and liberty. There is no good that can come from strangulating it. It is no noble act to deny it its freedom. Yeah, 
Her words, not mine. Maybe it will start to make more sense after a few more sessions. Whatever. Don't have time to write more. I have plans tonight. It's gonna get crazy. I never met Dr. Chen, and Pat never talked much about his sessions. His appointments were off campus, and as he had his own car, there was never a need to give him a lift, and in doing so, scope out where he was going. All in all, none of his friends seemed to pay it much thought. The plans he mentioned were a party at a friend of ours house. I don't remember much about it. We all got pretty wasted. I do know we both hooked up with some girls that night. For me, it didn't go any further than the next morning. But for Pat, it was different. Day 5 Thursday Hey, sorry I haven't updated in a couple of days. I haven't been home. I met this girl the other night at this party. I was crazy drunk. She is awesome though. We've just been hanging out at her apartment. She isn't at any other local colleges. I was surprised because the party was mostly college students. It's cool though as it means none of my friends know her and they can't start talking about us. <laughs> I've had probably more girlfriends than is really okay. I'm not a total asshole. I just find it hard to settle, I guess. But Nicole, that's her name, is great. Amazing, actually. She works in a coffee shop in town. She had to go in yesterday, but instead of going home, I just went in with her and watched her serve customers all day. She's tall, but not too tall. Slim and sort of tan, but not in a fake way. She has long, dark brown hair that feels like cool liquid to run your fingers through and she has the most beautiful face with big hazel eyes. Part of me wants to take her out just to show her off to everyone, but another part of me wants to hide her away from the world so I don't have to share her. Let me just say this about that. I did say the second part of his mind won over in the end because we, myself and the rest of Pat's friends, never get to meet Nicole more than once. From that day on, we all began seeing less and less of Pat. He was always at his new girlfriend's house, or at his appointments, dozing through class, or on the rare occasion he was in his dorm, and completely unconscious, just sleeping. So deeply we called it the sleep of the dead. Day 6, Friday See, I'm doing my best to update daily like Dr. Chen said. She didn't seem pissed that I missed a few appointments. That's good, because I was kind of worried I'd be in some kind of trouble. She just seemed interested to hear about Nicole. I must have talked about her for nearly the whole session. I had to stop myself a couple of times, because I started talking kind of fast. I felt pumped, full of adrenaline. I told her that Nicole wears a braided necklace around her ankle, just like the ones that Dr. Chen has around her tiny wrists. She smiled and said, they're good luck or something like that. More encouragement to update the journal. Will do. Am doing well. See? Day 7, Saturday. Called Nicole today. She said she was in work and couldn't talk. No problem. I went to the coffee shop and waited for her lunch break. We drank coffee and talked. Oh, she really is great. We have the same taste in music and movies and most things. I felt ready to tell her about my appointment with Dr. Chen, reassuring her I'm not dangerous or anything. 
I just did a stupid thing. She was so understanding. I felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders when she smiled her beautiful smile at me and said that she looked for a counsellor herself. Wow. After a car accident a couple of years ago and thinks counselling is really helpful and that she's never heard of Dr. Chen. Turns out she's into some alternative therapies too. Whatever. It's cool. Day 6, Sunday. Spent the day with Nicole. Was supposed to work on a college assignment. Whatever. Nicole is more important to me right now. We shared a lot. I explained a bit about my frustration issues and some of my angry outbursts. She seemed cool with it. Oh, she's so awesome. She gave me a little clay creature thing. I called it a gargoyle. And she said it is actually called a grotesque. It is an ugly little bastard. But she says it will protect me if I keep it in my dorm room. She has one too. A pale goblin looking thing made out of cool white stone. It is much creepier. I am planning to tell Dr. Chen about it. I reckon it will be right up her street. The hairs on my arms and neck stood up as waves of goose pimples ran across my body when I read this light and cheerful entry. In the really bad days at the end, I remember Pat mumbling to himself about the grotesque. Just the word itself still sends a shudder down my spine. And this is where we'll stop for now. I'll continue this in the next episode of Wednesday, you brilliant people. Just fantastic, folks. I'll be continuing the grotesque this Wednesday, and I can't wait to find out the rest of this story with you. Currently, I've been experimenting with audio filters, removing breaths and whatnot, and gotta say, still learning the process, but I'm getting it down pat. What this means is, there may be some quality loss initially in this episode, but next episode, I'll have it perfected. I use an audio gate in this episode, which uses a bunch of frequency filters to cut off breaths, which is amazing in itself, but I think I may have been too harsh on the filter. New gear, new software means new kinds of mistakes, but I always keep learning. Plus, this technology is fascinating. In the end, I'm going to create a better experience for you guys and gals, so stick with me Wednesday, where you'll hear the difference. And once again, a big shout out to my awesome White Tea Warlords, Matthew J. Bauer, Maya, and my new White Tea Warlord, Divided by Zero. Seriously, you've made my week, month, and year. And I got this Patreon message notifying me of your support whilst I was sick. One of the highlights of my week last week, thanks to you, buddy. Amidst all the illness, it was refreshing, so cheers. And of course, I have to thank my Ilgrain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, and Peter Raffaelli. You keep the lights on and the show's blood pumping. Thank you so much. If you want to support the show just like Divided by Zero did, hop onto my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. It's that easy and take a look around. I customize at all tier levels. You just have to reach out to me. Thank you so, so much for any support you listeners send my way. 
whether it's reviews, comments, likes, and just listening. Really, thank you very, very much. Have a great Monday, mates, and as always, till next, we meet.